it's a short message. Um, that I, yes, I see that hand. Um, so I want to talk about our hearts, not necessarily the, the actual organ, the heart, the figurative heart. Um, and really, this is a, a message that's been building with me for the past couple of months. About uh, two, three months ago, I um, was coming across some um, advertising awards. And one of the things that I noticed was um, a, a campaign that really captured my attention. It was a, a campaign that won some awards in America. And it was all about um, raising awareness for cardiac arrest. Because in America, um, cardiac arrest is the number one killer of athletes. Um, and so I was like, wow, that's, that's insane. And these adverts were really quite gripping. They were like scenes of basketball courts and American football pitches with like gravestones on. Um, and this phrase, he played his heart out. And it really grabbed me because I was like, man, that's insane, isn't it? How somebody who can appear to be like the pinnacle of fitness and health, these are athletes that are, that are aiming to be like professional footballers, professional basketball players, the pinnacle of health, just in that moment drop down and die because something inside wasn't right, the heart wasn't right. And I started to ponder on that and, sat and found that actually in the figurative sense, it's very true as well, isn't it? Um, how we can have this outward appearance of having it all together. Um, but actually, if our heart on the inside is not in balance, then we can just be walking along our everyday lives and we can just trip over. We can fall. Things can happen. Stuff can happen. And, um, and we can fall over. So it's from that perspective, really, that I want to speak this morning. Um, you know, the Bible is full of wisdom about... Um, about the heart. In, in fact, there's 800 separate occasions in the Bible where it talks about the figurative heart, which is quite a lot, isn't it? Um, and that suggests to me that it's something that um, God wants us to grasp hold of. It's a really important topic for us to grasp hold of. Um, so I want to start um, with a Bible verse. Uh, it's Proverbs 4.23, and it's quite well known. So um, you've probably heard it. But it says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Really clear words there from the psalmist. Above all else, as in other words, this is the most important thing that you could do. Guard your heart, because everything flows from it. Appreciate that, Dan. <laughs> if anybody else wants to offer words of encouragement like that, it would be great. So my inquisitive nature got me thinking about this verse because I'm like, what is the heart? I know if I were to say to you, oh, um, like, follow your heart, you'd understand what I mean. But if I were to ask you individually, what is the heart? I think I'd get like over 100 responses as to what the heart is. Um, that's how my mind works. And I'm thinking, if I'm going to guard it, I need to figure out what this thing actually is. Um, so I thought, I know, I'm going to ring one of my friends, um, a guy called Robin, he's a, he's a psychologist. And I was like, tell me, mate, what is the heart? And he was like, don't really know, to be honest with you. Um, and I was like, surely in all of your research, you've figured out what the heart is. And he was like, no, honestly. He says, there's a lot of schools of psychology that just go, I'm not even sure it exists. Other schools go, well, it is, but it's a combination of everything. It's our emotions, it's our thoughts, it's our attitudes. And really, that's where I'm... I've landed on, it is, um, one commentary described it as, it is the seat of all emotions, passions, and appetites. I quite like that. In essence, it's our core, it's who we are, it's the thing that drives everything. 
And Proverbs suggests that there's this really strong connection between our core, i.e. what's on the inside, and our outward behavior. It says, from your heart, all things flow. So, um, have you ever noticed um, that you're really good? I, I don't know whether it's just me. I'm hoping it's at least four other people because I'm going to feel a bit weird. Um, have you ever noticed that you're really good at convincing yourself to do something that you want to do? Have you ever noticed that? Yes. Five people. We've even got hands up. Six people. Now, I do this all the time. Now, um, about a year ago, I had my heart set on a new TV. <laughs> right. So some really biblical stuff going on here. New TV. And all of a sudden, I managed to convince myself that this was absolutely the will of God. <laughs> because, I don't, I don't know, miraculously, but the picture of my existing TV started looking a little bit blurry. The sound started going. I, I would naturally have it on a volume of around about 10, but I had to push it to 12 to hear it. <laughs> Things were happening. Um, Curry's had a sale on. <laughs> 4K TVs. And then, like, it was getting on to Christmas, so I'm thinking, wouldn't it just be amazing just to watch some nice Christmas films on, the, on a new TV? And before long, I'd, I had, you know, I'd caught up. I was convinced that this was the right thing to do. Cat, on the other hand, wasn't, so we're still watching the, old, the same old TV. <laughs> um, but, yeah, why, why does this happen? It happens because when we set our heart on something... Our mind goes off to gather all of the evidence to support what our heart says. It's like a really helpful PA. Um, psychologists call this confirmation bias, which is just this idea that um, when we come up with an idea or a solution or a theory, our mind catches up with that and goes, yeah, that's absolutely right. You are right. I found the solution. I found the evidence. So, and the problem in this is that in this relationship, our heart is the boss, okay? He, he's in charge, or she, if you've got a female heart. Um, he's the boss, she's the boss, and then our, our mind goes off to find the evidence. And the problem is, if our, if our heart isn't right, then the evidence that comes back, if unregulated, can be quite damaging and quite harmful to us, which is why the psalmist says, guard your heart, because everything flows from it. It is good, isn't it? <laughs> so, for example, if my heart says I'm not good enough, my mind can go off. It can gather evidence from a past. It can remind me of when that teacher said, you're rubbish. It can remind me of the boss that said, I'm not sure you're going to make it at this job. It can remind me of those feelings that I've had where I've always got it wrong. If my heart says I'm not good enough, if my heart says I'm never forgiving that person, my, my mind goes off and it says they deserve what to pay. Uh, they deserve to pay for what they did. They need justice. Do you see what I'm saying? It, it does something. If our heart says one thing, our mind brings back the evidence. So it's crucial that we guard it. And I feel like for these five people that have got baptized this morning, let's give them a little whoop. Never too many whoops in church. Um, and, for, and for hopefully some other people in here as well, this is the kind of message that you need to hear today. That um, you get your heart right and everything else flows from that. So I'm going to speak. I've got four really quick practical tips that are from Psalm 119. Has anybody read Psalm 119? Hands up. It's a long one. 
If you haven't read Psalm 119, when you next get your week off work, get the book out. You'll get through it. It's good. It's got a lot, a lot of wisdom in. And I'm going to pick up a few things from it. There's a lot of constant themes that run through Psalm 19. But I'm going to pick up verse 112 to 113 and then 36 to 38. I know that's backwards, but it makes my message flow a little bit better. Um, So verse 112 to 113. My heart is set on keeping your decree to the very end. I hate double-mindedness, or in some translations that says, I hate divided heart. I hate a divided heart, but I love your law. And then 36 to 38, turn my heart, I turn my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your ways. Fulfill your promises to your servant. Okay, so I've got four things from those couple of verses that I think can be practical help in guarding our heart. The first one is set your heart. Okay, we are in control of this. When the, when, um, the proverb says, above all else, guard your heart, that to me suggests that's an instruction. That should suggest to me that I've got control over this. I can set my heart on what I want. And I feel like for these five people that got baptized and other people in here today as well, set your heart on God. Set your heart on the good things of what God has got in store for you. I feel like it's a daily process. It's something that we need to do continually to, um, to give our lives over to God. One translation says, I incline my heart towards God, as in it's down here. And every day I need to flip it up because... When I don't, it just keeps flopping back down here. I incline it towards God. Um, Peyton, my daughter, has got an old-fashioned alarm clock. um, And every night she has to set that alarm. Like it doesn't just do it naturally with with an iPhone or something like that. She has to set it. And although she's got the best will in the world of waking up on time, if she didn't set that alarm, there'd be some days where she'd fall. And it's the same in our hearts, isn't it? We have to set our hearts towards God, incline our hearts towards God so that each day we can walk into what he's got planned for us. Set our hearts, write that down. Number two, don't be double-minded or divided in your heart. Okay, divided in heart is an intriguing concept, isn't it? Um, And this concept also has a name. Psychologists call this cognitive dissonance. And it's, I don't know whether anybody knows that, heard of that, but it's this idea of having two, um, two ideas, two values, two beliefs that contradict each other. Okay, two contradictory beliefs. And when this happens in our lives, it can create this unbalance in us. It can create feelings of guilt, feelings of shame, um, feelings of I want to run away and hide. And we don't really know why, but it's because we've got two things that are fighting against each other and we hold them in the same place in our hearts. Okay, um, I think I've been up here before and been really, really vulnerable, maybe shed a little tear about some of my eating habits. Um, and um, I, I really like fast food, but I don't like what it does to me. Okay, so I work away a lot and I don't prepare and I don't get a pack up and then I just go into McDonald's. And um, I eat that a lot. And then every now and then, if I notice, I know I'm quite trim looking, but every now and then, I, if I have loads of McDonald's, I start to sense a little bit of a podge going on down here. And I don't like that. So I've got this double-mindedness about it. I love it, but I hate it. I love what it does 
for me in that moment, but I hate what it does to me. So you've got this, like, this thing that's living inside of me that's battling with each other. Okay, and if we, if we expand, expand that and think about some other things that may be going on in our lives where we've got this cognitive dissonance, it's creating an unbalance in our lives. And unbalance just causes us to not really know where to go, to not know where to fix our eyes, um, to feel anxious and um, unbalanced. And if you think about lots of things like addictions, um, they work in exactly the same way. Drugs, alcohol, porn, gambling. These things give people fi quick fixes. They love it in that moment. And then they hate it. Because after they've done it, there's this feeling of shame and guilt. And the Bible talks really clearly, don't be double-minded. Don't be divided in heart. Make sure that you incline your heart to God. So I encourage us all. I know it's getting a little bit heavy. But I encourage us all to, to picture some of those things that maybe we're double-hearted on, double-minded on. And f like fix our position. Say, no, I will not do this. Um, I did put a... Um, a verse in here, but someone's deleted it. <laughs> Who would do that? Um, there's, a, <laughs> there's, a, uh, there's a verse in, I'm going to go with Psalms. It might be in Psalms. Um, that talks about um, fighting back the battle at the gate. Um, and I think that's something that's, that's um, really relevant with this double-minded nature. So um, back in Jesus' time, um, cities were built of two walls. There was a wall that was like the inner city, and then there was an outer wall that provided this space in between two walls where a lot of trading would go on, um, a lot of negotiation. And um, what people would do is they'd come in from other cities and they'd be let back, let in to the first gate in that, that space between the two gates. And um, the negotiation would take place. And once people were in there, traders were in there, they felt like they had an, an upper hand. I've got something to sell you and I can probably convince you to do this. And this whole idea of fighting back the battle at the gate speaks on that theory that if you allow something like an addictive thing to get through that first gate, all of a sudden it's got a little bit of power, it's got a little bit of weight, and it can convince you to get into the main city. Does that make sense? So hold back that battle at the gate. Set your stall out. Say, I will, I will not be tempted into this thing. If it's practical things, it's really healthy to just um, get alongside somebody, share it with them. You know, find somebody that's really trustworthy. Share some of that struggle and say, this is what I'm going through. I want you to help me fight that ba battle back at the gate. Yes. Um, okay, we're getting through it. Point number three. What was point number two? Don't be divided in heart. Very good. Point number three, avoid comparison. Boom, this is a big one. I incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. Am I saying that right? It doesn't feel right, but it is right. Covetousness, in other words, um, envy, comparison. We live in a society where we can't help but compare, can we? Um, and for some reason, we've been sold this lie that um, our lives are measured on... Um, what we have and what we do, how much we get paid, what job we've got, what house we've got, what car we drive. We're sold this lie that um, that is the measure of success. And regardless of how long we've been in church, regardless of our relationship with, with God, 
we all fall into the trap of believing that lie a little bit. And I'll tell you what, social media does not help. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and say get off social media because we can't. We live in a world where it is crucial and it's a great form of communication and actually I have to use it a lot in my job. So if I didn't, I might get sacked. So don't get off it, but be aware of what it's doing. Okay, Instagram, um, when you are flicking through your Instagram reel and you're seeing all of these amazing things that your friends are doing and you're sat there in your PJs and your, your Watsits and you're thinking, what am I doing in my life? Look at what they're doing with our life. You have to understand that you are comparing somebody else's highlights reel with your worst scenario. And when you compare that, there's a real disconnection between reality. I saw an amazing article um, that was the photos behind the photos of Instagram. Have you ever seen that? If you haven't, Google it. It's incredible. It will change the way that you look at Instagram. And it was like loads of scenarios where, where there, was this, there was this picture of a perfectly baked meal, um, candles and everything like that. And what they'd done is they sort of like cropped the phone into this overall picture and zoomed out and, and that whole scenario was like a baby in a high chair kicking off and like food all over the floor and like paint on the walls and all of this. And it's like zoomed right in to this perfect scenario. And we look at that picture and go, isn't their life great? They're so in control. Um, and we compare and it creates unbalance in our lives when we do it. Um, and this is what the psalmist is talking about. It's a timeless issue. It's always been around. You know, we're comparing how organized we are now, how clean um, and well-behaved our children are, what we're doing in our, our day-to-day lives. They were just comparing, I don't know, number of goats or like sandals or quality of their crop or something. I don't know. But there was comparison. There was comparison going on. It's a, it's a timeless thing. And our, our heart suffers when we compare. Incline your heart towards God. And at the start of that verse, I think is the solution. It says, incline your heart to your testimonies. I incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. Instead of comparing, think about what God has done in your life. I'll tell you one bit of advice. If you you take anything from this morning, if you're going to compare anything, compare yourself to who you were three years ago. Okay, because that is healthy comparison of going, look at what God has done in my life in three years. And it builds you up, it edifies you, instead of comparing yourself to other people that brings you down and makes you feel anxious and makes you feel worthless. Number four, live in the promise of God. God has got a promise over your life. Okay, You might be in church for the first time today, but I can honestly say this is true for you as much as it is true for these guys on the front row that come every week. God has got a promise over all of our lives. In fact, he's got a number of promises over all of our lives. And for us to live with a healthy heart, a guarded heart, I feel like we've got to walk in those promises. Because when we remind ourselves of God's promises over our lives, we um, strengthen our heart. Some of God's promises, God loves you unconditionally. That's what the Bible says. Um, There is no condemnation for you. Nothing is going to come against you. God has created you with purpose. God has a plan for your life, and that's a plan to prosper you. 
These are promises that God has got over every single individual in this room. And when we do um, the scenario of reminding ourselves of these things and speaking to ourselves, preaching to ourselves, the Bible talks about, speak to ourselves, remind our heart that God loves me unconditionally, that he's got a plan for me. It's a plan to prosper me. There is no condemnation. I feel no shame, no guilt. Then all of a sudden our heart is guarded, it's strengthened, and everything that flows out of us looks 10 times better than what flows out of us if our heart isn't in that position. Okay, four things. Can't remember what they were, but they were brilliant. Um, so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to uh, hand back to end our meetings. Father God, I thank you that you love us unconditionally. I thank you that you've got these promises over our lives that you want the best for us. You want us to step into what you've got. And I pray that this morning that some of these practical tips that we've talked through, I pray they um, are taken on board. I pray there can be things that we can go away and we can mull over and we can get into a position where we're better equipped to guard our heart from everything that's thrown at us so that we can walk a life that is in you, of you and for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give it up for Ben. Is Paul Wotton in the house? Could you?